Welcome back to the 129th episode of the Behind the Wealth podcast, where we bring you insights into personal finance and building wealth. I'm Roger. I'm here with my co-host, Elias. How's it going, Eli? Good. Good. Thanks for having me back on the program here. And I know we have an outline and we're going to talk about, I wanted to bring up, bring up something that um, I saw yesterday and now I'm, I'm scared. I'm fearful of. So apparently, so chat GPT, right? That's been a lot of the talk and AI is going to, I don't think anyone's going to have to work anymore. I think AI is just going to do all the work now. So there was a, an engineer at Twitter, and this is a secondhand story, so I don't know if it's true, but it came from a source I'd say is probably true. So, and he, this engineer works remotely, basically told the chat GPT, hey, I've been really lazy at work this week. What should have I gotten done? So like, I know what to talk about with my boss. And then can you also give me the code to accomplish all that? So the computer gave him like all the answers and the code and then the code worked. So I don't know if we're going to have to work anymore now that we have chat GPT. Jim Cramer two weeks ago, I talked about this on the last episode. I was listening to uh, CNBC on the way into work and his exact comment was within 18 months, if you don't have a revenue generating job, meaning your job doesn't directly generate revenue, you should start to be concerned. Like it's coming. If people think this isn't going to change the job market, and here, here's what's interesting. What's Jerome Powell want right now? He wants people to get laid off. We, yeah. He wants higher unemployment. This could cause it. And, I, but yeah, it could be know. like systemic. It, his, his great, I think the best one he, he made a reference to when I was listening to his argument of how, why this would actually work is potentially you could have an AI receptionist that nobody would know it's not a real person. It would do a better job of asking the questions and getting someone to the right department of where it needs to go. It would sound more professional. It would answer the phone exactly how you wanted it. And we talked about the last episode. You, if you wanted to execute a 401k rollover, aren't all the fidelities of the world and the vanguards and the principles, instead of outsourcing this, overseas or having this giant call center is it just going to be all run by ai and it's going to be done exactly correct every single time like that, that, that's a good question you know i think about I'm it. sure it has a role i'm sure there's, there's no a more place training for people. that you don't yeah. have to train people what you're gonna have to do is have people trained on making sure the code's running correctly so i it's a game changer i think it's been around for a while we just haven't known it chat GPT has made it become mainstream for, you know, the retail individual. I'll give you a great example. Last night, my wife was looking to go to Disney again. She's ready to go. She's looking at resorts and she's like clicking on each resort and seeing exactly like what the amenities are. I'm like, what are you looking for? She goes, I want to find the resorts that have balconies. I said, watch this. I went to chat GPT. I said, which which resort hotels at Disney World have balconies? There are six places that have balconies. It gave me the answer in literally, you know, eight seconds. I said, honey, here's the, here's the six you need to concentrate on. Which one of these six would you like to go to? See, it's even taken the fun out of vacation planning. Now you don't have to argue with your wife. You just have the robot give her all the choices, and then she decides. 
so here here's my thought though it it for for this circumstance it was really just google on steroids it was actually oh, what it was doing it was for yeah. me it was like filtering out all the google searches i would actually have to do to get to the point of getting those six answers right i could have googled it but what am i gonna have to do i'm gonna have to click a link that goes to somebody else's website and it's cumbersome and i'm gonna go through like three to five different clicks where this was literally gave me all six right there and then she asked me something again. I don't even remember what it was. And I typed it into chat GPT. She goes, are you kidding me? But that's the early adoption. Wait until people figure out how to monetize this thing, which people are figuring out how to monetize it. And I think your example um, of the engineer and getting the code, like the scary thing is that could put people out of, out of work. The way into work this morning, they were interviewing Elon Musk and for, years elon musk has said this is a very dangerous technology and he believes that we should already have some type of regulation around it and he goes and i feel a little bit bad because i feel as if maybe i've helped accelerate this technology like he's truly concerned about the ai technology and what it can do to society and you know in america we might actually go put some controls on it, but that doesn't mean China's going to and Asia's going to and Europe will. So it's it's strong technology. And I think that um, over time, it's going to be massively adopted. Whether you want to adopt it or not, you're going to have to. Remember what motivated me a year ago to buy all the AI books that I bought? I bought like three books on AI. I don't remember. Mark Cuban had a quote, came out with a quote, and he said, AI is going to be the equivalent of the internet 30 years ago, 30 years ago, everybody said, Oh, you don't need to know how to work this internet. Well, guess what? If you don't know how to work the internet today, I don't know what you're not accomplishing much from a business standpoint. It's going to be the equivalent of the internet. And I think last night for me was the glimpse when I'm like, this just replaced Google. Like, I'm not sure I'm going back to Google. I might just go to chat GPT anytime I have to look at something up. That's probably the easiest application. Just use it as a search engine. Well, what it does, it eliminates all the clutter. Like, and then I started thinking, how much am I going to have to pay once this, once they, once this app is not free, how much are we going to pay for this? I'm going to guess people are going to pay a lot of money because the time savings for me, we probably saved 35 minutes last night. Not clicking on each hotel, then going into the amenities and going through this big Google search. Like how much are people really going to pay for this? I think they're going to pay a lot because they're going to have to figure out how to monetize it. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. I love that you started out the show with that because, I mean, once again, it was top of mind. I think it's top of mind for a lot of people. Yeah, and I guess my thought and probably some of Elon Musk concern, um, it is a powerful tool, but, you know, I don't know. Is it... So I kind of made a joke. Well, no one's going to have to work anymore because then AI is just going to do it. But I don't really know that everyone would enjoy living in a society where people didn't have productive careers and things to do. I could see that being a major drag on people's just overall mentality and stuff like that. Like we're already battling screen time and all this stuff that they say is not good for your mental health and all this. And I think I think people will find value in it, but I hope there's like an effort to maybe not replace. It's not replacing everyone. It's going to, it's not going to replace people. 
it's going to make them more efficient. Remember how you came up with the quote last summer? Maybe it wasn't your quote, but you made the comment. You know, if, if you don't think the stock market's going to go up over the next 10 to 15 or 20 years, you basically believe American companies are going to get worse at making money. This is oh. an example of when bad things happen, how companies innovate to become more profitable. Yeah. If you're a business and you're not looking at this type of technology, how to make you more efficient, what are you doing? I mean, so, seriously, like you have to look at this and I don't think it's to replace. I think it's to make people more efficient. And as you become more efficient, what happens? You're able to scale more. What can you offload here and still have some human element interpreting the data? I mean, you still have to have data interpretation. But at the end of the day, it's going to make people more efficient in their jobs. That's what I see this technology doing. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And um, anyway, to which I talk a lot about that with people that, you know, really, if you think American companies are going to get worse at making money, then the stock market's maybe not for you, probably not for you. And anyway, I was looking at Warren Buffett's letter to his shareholders that came out and he was back. He backed me up, obviously not directly. I don't know Warren Buffett personally, but when it, in part of his letter, and it was my favorite part, he said, um, I'd never seen a time. It was something like in history, and I don't foresee a time in the future where making a long bet against America would be a good idea. And I thought, man, that guy's a true, he's a true patriot and he's a true believer. Um, but yeah, I think, I agree. I think AI is going to make everything more efficient. I don't know that everyone, there's probably certain jobs there that'll be threatened by it, but I don't think like a lot of jobs where there's human interaction. I don't think so. I think, okay. So like a, a restaurant, I don't think robots are just going to replace people as providing service at restaurants, but potentially it could get to the point where instead of looking at a menu, like they might just know that, hey, these are your three favorite drinks. And then the server would just know, like, offer this person these three choices and they're going to have a better experience. Like, there could just be more efficient things like that. Or even, and we're, we've implemented technology. But like, I don't have any fear of advisors being threatened by AI. Because here's what AI can do. Can AI give you the optimal, optimal decision? You can, but making the optimal financial decision isn't always what works for people because money is emotional. It's not always financial. Right. It's not just about the dollars if and it, cents. Right. If it was just as easy as you always make the optimal decision, well, then everyone would just do that. Okay. Here's your, there's more to it than that. To your analogy of like the restaurant. There's already restaurants now where they don't have menus. You go click your phone. Like when I, th I flew through Chicago here a month ago and I went to, uh, 312 Brewing, maybe. What, what's the... Oh, Goose Island. I think it's Goose Island Brewing is the restaurant there. Waitress didn't take my order. I scanned a little QR code. Menu came up. I ordered. She brought it out. Well, that's more efficient. There's no errors because someone didn't write it down. Someone didn't remember it. So I could actually see AI becoming a big part of the restaurant business. And it's not going to eliminate jobs. It's going to make them more efficient. We saw people serving in giving you your food, making sure you're okay. We're just eliminating the part of you have to pick out what you order. And then I have to remember if you wanted to hold the onions and add cheese and all that's already done. And it goes directly into a system and gets made. 
Yeah, and for me, I would prefer I would prefer instead of looking at the whole menu, just if it's on there and the computer knows what I like, just says, "Hey, if you order this, you're gonna like Here's, it." But maybe think about this too, and then I just decide between two things instead of three or four pages of things. I would prefer that. So your menu is basically gonna be chicken wings. Yeah, if they offer me chicken wings and beer everywhere I go, I'm gonna say yes. I appreciate you starting the show out like that, Elias. Uh, today's show, though, is about a money mindset and how that can actually impact your financial success. And I thought about this a lot when I looked at this this outline, and it never really dawned on me that maybe there were two different mindsets of money, per se. And when you think about what that money mindset is, it's really like, what are your beliefs, your biases, your fears, your feelings about money? And it's shaped by really how we were brought up and the experiences that we've had through life. You know, some people have been more fortunate than others. We, we know that some level of, you know, income disparity exists in America. And depending upon where you started and where you were brought up probably shapes how you treat money. And I can think about this even in my daily life. You know, things that I value about money, other people may or may not. And I think that's interesting. And we talk about how you know, our parents raised us and where our parents frugal or where, where they spend thrifts. And then does that give you a positive or a negative mindset about money? And that can really affect what happens to you down the road and how you treat money. Um, and it can and it ultimately, you know, determines your outcomes that you're going to have regarding your overall money life. It, it can. And I guess. You know, your mindset, it's not only with your money, but with a lot of things, if you have a more uh, realistic or positive perspective, you can help manifest things in your life through a positive attitude. So, you know, like a negative, okay, negative money mindset, maybe feelings of scarcity, fear, and anxiety around money. And I'm sure a lot of people have that. Um, you know, I think if you look at the popularity of like the money gurus, uh, Dave Ramsey and Sue Zorman and people like that, like their their whole mission is to really help people get a turn a negative approach to money into a positive. And I think when you do that, but it's not easy, right? It involves steps It involves probably a budget, figuring out why you're in debt. Which if you're, I, I can understand if you're in debt and you have like, you don't know if your paycheck's going to last for the month, that's got to be a scary place to be. And you haven't, an, and it's not like it's just this month. If that's the situation you're in, it's next month too. So it's just a constant battle. It's the avoidance. If you have a negative money mindset, your goal is to avoid this. And the first stat that comes to mind, was it 26% of people have a financial plan? Right. The 74% that don't, a percentage of them, there's a percentage that doesn't know they should do it yet. There's a percentage that thinks they don't need to do it yet. And there's a percentage that don't want to know the answer. They don't want someone, they're fearful of what somebody's going to tell me. We've had two cases in the last 90 days of people who came in here and they've avoided doing a financial plan because they were nervous of what the results were going to be. And you know exactly the two people I'm thinking about. And we took them through the financial planning process and they're young people. They're in their 40s. But they were nervous. They felt behind. We walked them through the financial plan. And when they left, 
I feel like they went from a negative mindset to a positive. When they left, they felt good about their situation because they knew, and neither one were really behind. They're all on track or, you know, maybe slightly behind, but not like, oh my gosh, I can never retire. So there's ways to turn that negative mindset to a positive. And really, I think getting to a positive mindset is empowering yourself with a little bit of education and knowledge. It's why we like to educate people. We believe educated people, you know, are better clients for us. They know why we're doing things. We don't want to just have people blindly follow. I mean, we do, but we want you to know why we're doing the same things we're doing, why we're implementing certain strategies, why we're using a particular asset allocation in, in your unique circumstance. And that empowers people and gives them a positive mindset about money. Yeah, and I, I also refer to that as the adult thing to do. Adulting? Yeah, it's adulting. I mean, it. in money, I tell people all the time, money isn't everything. And you don't have to have a vast amount of wealth to be happy with what you have. But at the end of the day, it makes the world go around. Like, what, what do you do in your life that doesn't require any money? There's the, You provide your shelter, your food, your hobbies. Everything requires money, so it's part of... Some of it's just a little bit of basic responsibility, but then I think you can probably take it to the next level of understanding and having a more positive mindset of like, hey, if I if I save X amount of dollars every month, it could be this someday. And I would like to have that because I want whatever it is, financial freedom, want to be able to retire, just want to be able to do um, do whatever you want. So if you think, here's what I tell somebody, if you think, if you're listening to this podcast or watching this on YouTube and you think you have a negative mindset of money, there's ways to change that. And there's a speaker, his name's Charlie Jones, Charles Jones, and he's a leadership speaker. And he made the comment one time, he said, you'll be the same person in a year as you are today, except for the people you meet and the books you read. And if you really think about that, if you go a year and you met nobody, and you didn't read a book, nothing changed. You didn't gain any more knowledge. You didn't you gain zero knowledge. If you read nothing for a year, how did you improve yourself? And I would say, I'd be curious when this quote came out, because books, I think, were more, more prevalent than they are today. I mean, books are still prevalent. But today, I think about how I learn, I'm going and pulling an article from CNBC, and I'm reading that whole article. Like I'm reading more today than I ever have in the past, but it's not in book format. It's in article format. And yeah. I think most people are because I sit on my news feed and here comes Fox or here comes CNN or CNBC, MSNBC, Bloomberg. And here's an article I want to read. I'll sit and read it. If I didn't have that in my news feed on my phone or my, my computer, would I pick a book up every day and read eight pages? Maybe not. So I think what the the what you need to think about if you want to change your money mindset is there's a couple ways to do it. So I've been asked, Elias, if I'm going to do a book or read a book, what are the books to read that could switch someone to a positive mindset? And there's a couple that come to mind. And I think, you know, you have beliefs in this and I do as well. But The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey is probably one of the best books out there because it's really it's not magic. Dave's telling you in the book all the stuff we already know. He's just laying it out in a six or seven step process that people can execute and complete. 
And it's really no different than doing like a financial plan for retirement. It's like your mini financial plan for getting yourself to a healthy financial place. It is. And here's what I know about um, Dave Ramsey and the total money makeover and the baby steps that Dave Ramsey educates people on. If you execute those, it will work. There's no example of someone who executed those steps and it didn't, it didn't work for them. And the reason is it's because it's simple and you know how people are. I have, well, I like this. Um, and some of the criticism towards Dave from fans and other people is, well, it's not like the most, uh, financially like efficient way to do it. You know, people, you want to talk about debt snowball versus debt avalanche and you can get in the weeds on all that. It doesn't really matter. Here's what I know. If you execute it, it's going to work. That's the most important part of what we do, making it a priority and executing the plan you put in place for yourself. Those steps are actually built around more around human behavior and the cause and effect of that versus that of this is the most dollar and cents method or mathematically, this is how I should do it. Yeah. Most people don't have a math brain. Like they can do math, but they want to avoid it. So, so why would somebody trying to get out of debt take a mathematical approach when they don't like math? <laughs> I mean, this is about, uh, th I mean, money, money's understanding your relationship with it. What's your personal relationship with money? How do you react in certain situations? What motivates you? What makes you, what gives you a negative connotation? So if you're a person who doesn't like math, why would you go say, well, I got to pay off the highest interest rate one first. It's not going to work for you. You don't like math anyway. People want positive reinforcement. If you think about the first step of Dave's plan, it's all about positive reinforcement. That's it. It is. And the other book on here that uh, I would highly recommend anyone read, uh, which it's not fine. It's not a financial book, but the seven habits of highly effective people, uh, by Stephen R. Covey. I probably read that book at least twice, maybe three times since I, um, since I've graduated college. And that is a very, the thing I like about it, it's not like a, a motivational book about like getting yourself motivated to do things. It's just a book about if you implement these seven habits, you can be effective. And to me, that's a good, that's just a good goal to have in general. If you're effective at all the things that you're trying to do, um, you, you can accomplish them. And that, and it's very basic too. It's like begin with the end in mind um, that he talks about like filling people's buckets to help them feel better. Uh, but I think that book is a great one. If, if uh, people are listening, never read it, that's a good one to read to um, help you tackle some of these things. In addition to books, there, there's some other exercises we can do. And I think one, one really good thing is just reflecting your life up until now. You know, what did you hear and see about money growing up? What did your parents do with money? Do you want to replicate that or do you want to do something different? Once you do it, just write it down and then start to set some goals. If you think about reflecting on how you've handled money, we've all made mistakes with money. Our parents have all made mistakes with money. Your friends have made mistakes with money. But if we can learn from those mistakes, write down what you don't want to do that somebody else did. You know, or if maybe it's you, maybe you went and bought a brand new car out of college that was $80,000. You're like, this is the dumbest thing I ever did. I'm not going to do this again. 
we can't take back what's happened, but we can improve going forward. So I think the next step of this is, you know, think about your life to now. Start to set some goals as to what you want to accomplish with your money to try to change you to a positive money mindset. There's, there's a saying out there. If you don't write it down, it's not real. If you tell yourself your goal for the year is to lose 15 pounds and you don't write it down, I'm almost positive you're not losing 15 pounds. But if you write it down, it's highly likely. I go back. Are you directing that at me or something? Is that a personal attack? um, No, not really. Just Just in general. uh, I go back to like my high school baseball team. Our coach was huge on goal setting. And he required us to come up with three goals for the season. Take those goals, we had to put them in three places. And one of the places everybody had every goal written, you took your hat off and the, and the bill of your hat inside, you had your three goals. Your locker room at home, or the locker room where your locker was at baseball, you had three goals. And then he wanted you to put one on your mirror in your bathroom because you saw it multiple times a day. The more you see the goal and the more you kind of envision it, the more real it comes. Like You can accomplish it. You're going to be top of mind. But if your goal is to lose 15 pounds – and you didn't write it down, it's pretty easy to grab the Cheetos at seven o'clock at night or start getting that. lucky charms out and you know, you get the little snacks going. Um, so I think you gotta write it down, make it real. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I think another good probably strategy regarding all this, have be- have the belief that success is possible for you. I think and I think that goes with a positive mindset towards money, towards your career, just a positive mindset in general. Um, but I, I think people that that's probably one of the most common things of successful people is, and you know, everyone, when you see someone who's successful, it's easy to see where they're at then and what that looks like. But what you don't see is you don't see kind of the hard work it took to get there. Cause that's all the behind the scenes stuff. But I think what most people in those situations have in common is they had some sort of drive and belief in themselves that they could do it. You know, maybe not always sure how you're going to do it, but you believe that you could do it and you believe that success was possible. And I think that that's something if you implement, you're going to find rewards in that because you'll just be more, um, you know, whatever it is, your self-esteem, um, that the things you're working towards having, because there's always obstacles, right? I mean, like look at the last, the last year in the markets and I've talked to plenty of people and this year, this last year, well, is the market ever going to stop going down? You know, it's easy. It's easy to get negative and to wonder. Um, but if you believe that you can be successful and you stick to the basics, it's going to work. Recency bias is, it's amazing. Two years ago, everybody thought the market could never stop. It was on a roll. It's, Never can stop. I remember doing a podcast, Elias, and we were talking about the best investments. I think this must have been 2020, 2021. And we're basically like go long on the dumbest possible things out there. Yeah, that worked in 2021. Just go long on whatever the dumbest possible thing is, the least profitable opportunity out there. Go long on that. And it worked. Guess what's not working today? That. That. (laughs) And a lot of people, a lot of people got caught off sides and most people get caught get in the end and that environment and the other common thing that i've noticed in conversations with the do-it-yourself investors just when i socialize people they know what i do and they ask me questions um 
a lot of do-it-yourselfers, they don't know when to cut their losses. The other day, someone was telling me about a position that they had that was down 60%. And they're like, well, I can't sell it. I got to hold on until it comes back. I'm like, how long is that going to take? You you don't know. Like something that's down in value 60%, and what if the outlook is not good? It's okay. And I said, hey, sometimes you got to understand being part of a successful trader is just admitting when you made a mistake and get out of that and get into something that has a better outlook. So but it's that psych. Everyone, you didn't buy that goofy investment for a buy and hold strategy. You bought the goofy investment because of speculation. Well, then you don't you don't lose on speculation and say, okay, now I'm a buy and hold investor. You should have picked something better. This is a great example because we talk a lot about buy and hold. Like if you hold something long enough, it'll typically work out. When we're referring to that, we're referring to like a stock market index, like the S&P 500. Yeah, we're not talking about goofy stuff. It, it, that, Eliza doesn't have to be goofy. It's high risk, high beta stuff. Example. Yeah. It took the NASDAQ 15 years to recover from its crash of 2001. 15 years. So if you went long on the NASDAQ last year and it's down X percent and you're sitting back saying, you know what? I put 80% of my money in here and I think it's going to come back. Well, it probably will eventually, but how long does it take? What's the opportunity cost of other investments you could have made along the way? Like, 15 years, your kids are barely in the house 15 years. That's how long it took you to get your money back. Now, if you were just in the S&P 500, you had it back significantly faster than that. But because you decided to go chase a fad and get in the high risk type stuff, you were punished. Do I think that's the case today? Probably not because in 2001, we had a bunch of companies that really weren't even companies with really high valuations. We had that today, but most of these companies actually have a real business behind them. Were they, they priced may not be profitable yet or something like that, but yeah. it's still a real business. Were they priced appropriately? Probably not, but yeah. it still has a real business behind them. Well, it so, could have been priced appropriately if money's for the free. Well, that's true. You can money probably was free. support the valuations if money's free, but that's not the situation we're in. Yeah, we're, we're still in a high inflation environment getting worse, but maybe that's for the next episode. Could be. But with that said, I want to thank everybody for listening to the 129th episode. Uh, we look forward to you guys tuning in again. Thanks. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.